Well, I invite you to come with me now to Acts 28. And if you're visiting with us this morning, we have been uh, working through Acts. We, we had the first chunk of Acts uh, a long time ago, it feels like now, a long, long time ago. And then we hit pause on it, and we picked it up again not that long ago. And today sees us at the conclusion of this. So we're at Acts 28, and we're going to begin to read at verse 11. And from verse 11, we'll read through to the end. So this is us concluding our series this morning in Acts. Next week, we'll move into a series in the Ten Commandments. So please, if you want to, you can read ahead and refresh yourself on the commandments. That's where we will be next Sunday morning. But for now, Acts 28, and Nigel's going to preach this in just a few moments. Acts 28 and verse 11. If you're lifting the Pew Bible, you'll find that on page 1126. After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods Castor and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. And from there we set sail for, and arrived at Regunum. And the next day the south wind came up. And on the following day we reached Petitulii. There we found some brothers who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we came to Rome. The brothers there had heard that we were coming, and they had traveled as far as the Forum of the Appius and the Three Taverns to meet us. And at the sight of these men, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. And when we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the leaders of the Jews. And when they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. But when the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had any charge to bring against my own people. And for this reason, I have asked to see you and to talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, we have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of the brothers who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are. For we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. From morning till evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made his final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. 
They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us. Nigel. Great. Well, let's uh, open our Bibles to Acts 28. We're finishing off, as John said, we're finishing off our journey through Acts, especially this later half, and we're calling this the end of the beginning. I don't know if you know where that uh, little phrase comes from. Uh, 1942, the Allies won a significant victory against the Germans in uh, El Alamein in, in North Africa. It was one of those uh, turning points in the Second World War. And at a speech in Mansion House, Churchill famously said, now this is not the end. It is not even the beginning of the end, but it is perhaps the end of the beginning. He had a great uh, way with words. And today we come to the end of the book of Acts, and it is very much as Churchill uh, says, the, the end of the beginning. It's a significant point in the history of the church. The gospel has reached the center of the empire. Now, actually, the gospel had got there before Paul. There was already a church in Rome. Um, we'll see that here. And, of course, Paul had already written his letter to the Romans by this point. Uh, so there was already a church in Rome. And it shows us, of course, that a, a church can be formed without an apostle. And uh, yet Paul is the great apostle to the Gentiles. And now that he has reached Rome and is proclaiming the gospel there, there is a sense in which the empire has been reached because it, 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 the, the gospel has got to its very heart. The, the gospel still needs to go to the ends of the earth, of course, as Jesus said it would, but this is the, the end of the beginning. Now, it's not the end of Paul, however. Most Bible experts think that Paul is released after this period in Rome. We, we don't read of his death here, that he goes on to travel to other places, uh, Crete, and, and perhaps some traditions say that he went as far as Spain, eventually then came back to Rome and is arrested, and he's put to death there. And one of the, the, the things that we need to realize is that the book of Acts is not the story of Paul. We sometimes think that that's what it is, that it's the story of Peter and then the story of Paul and the missionary journeys and so on. But it's not the story of Paul. It's the story of the progress of the gospel. It's not so much about the workers, it's about the work. And uh, it's not that God's workers are unimportant to God. We see uh, God's tender care for, for Paul all the way through these chapters. But as someone has said, God buries his workers as he progresses his work. Now, that's just the, the, the way it works. God's workers are like runners in this relay race, this uh, uh, relay race in which we pick up the baton for a while, we, we run our leg, and then we pass the baton on to the next person. And this has been Paul's part of the race, but the focus is really on the whole race, on the progress of the gospel. 
fact, one of the ways that you can divide up the, the book of Acts is by looking at a number of little phrases that come now and again. There are about six of them that say things like the church grew or the word of God continued to spread or whatever it might be. It, it, it's all about the progress of the gospel. Now, we are, as we were saying to the boys and girls, we, we are still in this race. It's pretty amazing to to think about it. The baton has been passed from one generation to another and from one place to another as the gospel has spread from Jerusalem to here. And we are currently running our leg. And really what we're thinking about this morning is how are we doing in this? How are we managing as we're running our race? Jesus once said, very important verse, Matthew chapter 24, 14. There it is on the screen. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. It's a hugely important verse. Uh, we ask the question, what's happening at the moment in our world? Well, according to Jesus, what's happening at the world in the world at the moment is that the gospel of the kingdom is being proclaimed throughout the world. It is spreading uh, throughout the world. That, that is the, the big headline, as it were, in heaven. It's the race that we are a part of. And we might also ask the question, why is our world still here? Well, you know, we sometimes sort of say that. We look at the news and we think, oh goodness, this place is such a mess. And we think, why does God put up with us? Why does He not just, why does Jesus not come back now and, and, and draw everything to a close? And the answer to that is that the gospel has not yet been, as Jesus said it must be, the gospel has not yet been proclaim to all the nations, because then the end will come. Remember that in those visions in Revelation, uh, there are visions of, of people gathered around the throne in heaven. They're from every tribe and tongue and language and nation. So, there are still people groups within this world where there are no known believers, and so the race is not yet complete. We are still running forward. Now, now in this race, it's a long race, it's uh, more like a relay marathon, if you can imagine such a painful thing. Um, and, and it's useful, perhaps, at times in our, in our race to, to pull in, to stop, and just to remind ourselves what we're doing. Why are we doing this? I don't know if you've ever, well, if you've ever, if I ever run more than about 100 yards, I ask myself, why am I doing this, you know? And, and you imagine yourself pulling into one of those drinking stations where there are little glasses of water and so on, uh, and maybe energy gels and bits and pieces like this, and, and you, you pause for a moment, you catch your breath, you take on some fluids, and, and you think to yourself, now, let me remind myself, why am I doing this? What's this all for? And in a sense, that's what we're doing uh, today. We, 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 we're pausing for a moment in this race where we're, we're saying, now, what is it we're at? And what we're going to see is that the, the, the gospel we're just going to remind ourselves the gospel is a message about Jesus. It it's progresses through messengers. It divides the people that it comes into contact with, and it builds a new community. That's, that's where we're going. And maybe we've got our uh, younger people here uh, uh, having a look at what we're doing this morning. And let's think about this whenever we think about what the gospel is. Now, I don't think you've got a, a space for this on your sheet, but, but gospel is one of those words that we use all the time in church. And we've got to think, what is it we mean whenever we're talking about the gospel? And perhaps the best way to put this down is just to, to write down that the gospel is the good news about Jesus. The gospel is the good news about Jesus. It's the good news about the fact that Jesus has rescued us, done for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. 
gospel is the good news about Jesus. Well, first of all, first thing, the gospel is a message about Jesus Christ. It's a message about Jesus Christ. Seems a very basic thing to say, especially whenever we're saying that the gospel is the good news about Jesus, it's a message about Jesus. But we need to underline that because it's stressed as a theme within these verses. The Jewish leaders, Paul is in house arrest for a couple of years, and he's only there a day or two, and he sends for the Jewish leaders, and they come, and then they come again with a whole crowd of people, and he spends the whole day with them. In verse 23, it says, he witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God, and from the law of Moses, and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus, about Jesus. Jesus is the is the function of, of, or is the focus of what he's saying. If you were to talk to some of those Jewish people as they went home that night and, and they said, oh, you were spent the day with Paul, <clears throat> give us a, a summary of what he was saying. Well, he, he was just uh, keeping going on about Jesus. That was what he was talking about. So th- this all-day teaching session must have been marvelous. It would have been fantastic to have had a recording of it. But in some ways, we can probably make a, a reasonable assumption of the sorts of things that Paul covered in that day. James Montgomery Boyce thinks that we can do that. He suggests that what Paul would have said here would have largely been the same sort of thing that he would have said in his letter to the Romans. And so it would have followed that sort of outline. He would have begun by talking about our our general obligation to know God and to worship Him. We've been made by Him, and therefore we owe Him. We, we, We ought to relate to Him in every moment of every day. And he would have then underlined that we have fallen short of that. We have not worshipped God as we should, and we've fallen short of God's standards. Gentiles have done that, but as he was talking to these Jews, he would have pointed out that the Jews have done that as well. So, we're all alike guilty before God. We're all sinners. There's no one righteous, not even one, as Romans says. And then he would have begun to talk about Jesus, Jesus as the, the Messiah, Jesus as the one that God had promised that was long awaited and he has now come, and, and he has uh, sacrificed himself. He has become the sacrifice. He has put himself in the, in the place of both Gentile and Jew to make those who trust him right with God. All sorts of places where Paul could have gone and would have gone, but as he builds the, the case for our need for Jesus, these are some of the, the issues he perhaps would have touched. We also see Jesus emphasized at the end of the chapter, the the last uh, verse, verse 31. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. One writer says that uh, Paul had two strings to his bow, uh, the kingdom and Jesus. God is building a kingdom. We need to belong to it. The king is Jesus, and he's also the way into the kingdom. It's through him that we enter the kingdom. Now, as I say, all of this seems uh, very basic this morning, but we do need to remind ourselves that the gospel is, first of all, a message about Jesus, because it's very easy in our thinking to find ourselves leading with all sorts of other things. For example, we might think that it's a message about God, and it is, of course, but, but, but lots of people now in our world, whenever they talk about God, they... they, they they have all sorts of other ideas in their minds as opposed to the God of the Scriptures and the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, simply getting people to, as it were, believe in God 
is not enough. Those that Paul was teaching on that great teaching day all believed in God, but they had very different ideas about how to get to God, and they had very different ideas about Jesus. Jesus must be the focus of the message that we take to the world. We also need to remind ourselves that it's not a message about the church. The church is incredibly important. We're going to see that as well. It's one of the, the great evangelistic underpinnings of, of the, the, the gospel task as we, as we take the gospel to the world because we invite people in, as it were, to the church, and, and they see the, the gospel played out. We see uh, loving relationships. We see grace extended to people, and we see the transformation that Christ brings. The, the, the church adorns the gospel. But the church is not the gospel. Just getting people to appreciate the church or come to the church or even join the church is not the aim. The message is about Jesus, first of all. So whenever you're thinking about talking to your friend at work or your family member who doesn't yet know the Lord, ask God to help you talk about about Jesus. Sometimes easier to talk about the church, isn't it? This is what we did at the weekend. Sometimes even easier to talk about, about God. You know, it's, it's great to just know that, that, that God is with you. But, but people who don't know the Lord don't know how to get to God, and they don't know how Jesus fits into that. Ask God to help you speak about Jesus. And as you pray for the progress of the gospel in this land, pray that people will come to, to know Jesus. It's a message about Him. The second thing is, the gospel progresses through messengers. Again, very obvious statement, but again, important for us to underline. How does this message get from uh, Jerusalem uh, to Rome? How does it go from a province on the edge of the empire to the very heart of the empire? And the, the answer is it goes through people, through people like Paul. God has designed that, that one person would tell another person about his son. That's the way God has designed it to be. <clears throat> we see that throughout this book. It takes very many different forms. There are occasions where uh, every member just gossips the gospel wherever they go. There are, are occasions where people speak to strangers one-to-one. -one. There are occasions where people talk with small groups. There, there are occasions where preachers preach to large crowds. There are questions and answers. There are lectures. There are sermons. All of these things. But, but the gospel progresses through messengers. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples at the start of this book. He, he said to them, you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. And it is clear that they are witnesses, as we unpack this book, it is clear that they are witnesses who have been captivated by this message. It really matters to them. It really has fired them up. It has caused them to, to go and to speak and to, to not count the cost. I'm always struck of a quote that I've always come back to from John Stott about Paul. 
and uh, useful as we sort of think of it, as we leave him for a while. Uh, it's useful that we, we, we hear it again. And John Stott said this about Paul, the blessing of God rested upon the ministry of the Apostle Paul in quite exceptional measure. No doubt many explanations of this could be given, but I find myself wondering if we attribute it sufficiently to the zeal and the zest, the almost obsessional devotion with which he gave himself to the work. He gave and did not count the cost. He fought and did not heed the wounds. He toiled and did not seek to rest. He labored and asked for no reward except the joy of doing his Lord's will, and God prospered his efforts. And why do we highlight this this morning? Well, simply to allow us to ask ourselves the question, if it is the case that the gospel progresses through messengers, what sort of messengers are we? How important is this to us? God's plan is for, for you, for me, to be a messenger. How are we doing at that? When was the last time that we acted <clears throat> as a messenger of the gospel? When was the last time we had a conversation with someone who doesn't know Jesus about Jesus Christ? When was the last time you asked somebody to church? Or, or, or maybe this, when was the last time you really wanted to? Because sometimes that's it, isn't it? It's, it's, it's is there a, a desire within our hearts to be those messengers? Or have we settled into this position where we say, well, somebody else will do that, and I'll just concentrate on, on, on growing as a Christian. But we need to know that, that growing as a Christian means growing as a messenger. And we will not have everything that God designs for us if we do not step into that role. The gospel progresses through messengers. You know, thinking of our young people, there are numerous stories of boys and girls, P6, P7, first year, and they've ended up following the Lord Jesus because someone your age has talked to them about Jesus. Gospel progresses through messengers. The gospel then divides. Really important that we see this. <clears throat> we see this all the way through the book. The gospel divides people as it comes into contact with them. It, it, it does that because it calls for a response. It asks people to, on the one hand, believe something is Jesus who he says he is? And on the one hand, then on the other hand, it asks them to do something. If I believe that he is who he says he is, then I must commit myself to him. And, and here we see that with the Jewish leaders, that there's, there's a, the classic response to this demand. Verse 24, some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. It's just the it's just the case, isn't it? We know this within our experience. We know this within our families, within our workplaces, that, that, that folk hear the gospel, and some are convinced, and some would not believe. Notice it doesn't say cannot believe. It says will not believe, would not believe. And the sticking point for those who would not believe seems that they, they could not believe that the gospel would go to the Gentiles. There's a, there's a heart problem there uh, that Isaiah speaks about. Uh, Paul quotes it, 
that would lead some to continue to be unresponsive, but God will call the Gentiles to himself, and as it says, they will listen. God will have his people. He's going to build his church. But we must know this, as this gospel message goes forward, as we give ourselves to this task of being messengers, the gospel will divide people. Paul was, was a, a magnificent and passionate messenger. And when people listened to him, there was a, a mixed response, hugely gifted. One of the best theological minds who has, who has ever walked the earth without question. And yet when he made his case winsomely, effectively, it divided people. Some walked away. They would not believe. It was the same with Jesus. And, and therefore, why do we think it will be any different today? The, the issue is not in the clarity of the presentation or the persuasiveness of the argument, but ultimately in the orientation of the heart of the listener. There's a particularly sad phrase in here, verse 25. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. And this was Paul. He had met with the risen Jesus on the Damascus Road. He'd a grasp with biblical truth like no one else. He could clearly articulate the way to life. And yet they began to leave. They went off home and they said, you know what? I've got something better to do than being here. See, the heart in some cases says no. It might whisper, this doesn't make sense to me. Or I don't see it, but deep down it's saying, no, I'm saying, I'm saying I will not believe. But that's not the only response, is it? You see what it says in verse 30? For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Lots of people came to see him. It's a marvelous opportunity. Here he is. He, he's, he's, been the, he's been the one who has wandered all over a, a Europe and now he's in one place. He's under house arrest. And so if you wanted to go to see Paul, you knew where he was. Some of those who came to see him will have been church leaders seeking guidance. Some of them will have been believers seeking discipleship. But don't you think that some of those who were coming were knocking on his door and saying, hello, I, I, I believe you're Paul. I, I, I hear you know about Jesus Christ. Will you tell me about him? Maybe some of those who knocked his door were some of those who had walked away that evening. They knock his door and they say, Paul, you might not remember me. I was here six months ago, and I've been thinking about what you said. And I, I, I can't get it out of my head. I, I, I wake up at night and I, I think to myself, what if it's true? What, what if Jesus is the way and the only way? What should I do? Will you run all of this past me again? You see how the, how the gospel causes some people to say, no, not for me, and then it causes others to say, wow, could this be for me? And you see, this is the wonderful confidence that we have as we take this message to the world that ultimately God will bring his people in. And there will be those who reject, but there will be those who will respond. Because after all, so many of us here, we've responded. And it's been God's doing, hasn't it? I wonder if some of us saying, some of us who are listening saying, do you know, this is just what I've been waiting for. 
The gospel divides. And then the last thing, just in a word or two, the gospel builds a new community. Easy to miss this. A, a personal response to this gospel message is called for. But, but when we do that, we find that we are added to a community. And this community becomes incredibly important. Paul is on his journey to Rome. And there are little details dropped into this passage of the importance of this community. They get to uh, Puteoli, and it says, verse 14, there we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to, to spend a week with them. Isn't that lovely, isn't it? Here are people that Paul has never met. He's never been to Puteoli, but they are brothers and sisters. And they open their homes to Paul and to his companions. They are connected. They, they gladly sacrifice for each other. They are hospitable to each other. Though they are strangers, they treat each other like family, brothers and sisters. And it, and it continues as he gets to Rome. You see, in verse 14, and so we came to Rome, that the brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. And Paul had never been to Rome, but these believers came out to meet him. It was about, they reckon, about you know, 20 or 30 miles. And they, they, they come and they, they walk the last leg of the journey with him. Someone has pointed out uh, that when a victorious general came back to Rome, the, the, the population of the city would come out, and they would escort him into a city, into the city in a great triumph. And in the parade, he would, the general would, would lead the captives that he had captured behind him. There would be those in chains behind the general, and the population would walk with him. And yet here, it is the chained captive, Paul, who is being honored and escorted into Rome by the church. And you see what it says? Wouldn't you expect it to say, you know, imagine you're a believer in Rome, and you've heard about Paul, you've read his letter, it's come, it's been read out of the church, you've studied it, and you, you would expect it to say, and the believers, when they saw Paul, were so encouraged to see this great apostle. But you notice what it says, verse 15, at the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. Paul thanked God and was encouraged. Sinclair Ferguson says, it's not just that the church needed Paul, it's also that Paul needed the church. Great apostle. And he sees the believers and, and it encourages him. Do you see the pattern of the race that we've been called to? It's shown to us so clearly here, isn't it? Here's a message about Jesus to be taken to the end of the world, carried by its messengers. It calls people to decide on him, and therefore it divides people. And as it goes to the ends of the earth, there are some who respond, and they are bound together by, by supernatural bonds. They become, those strangers, they become like brothers and sisters, for they are. They're made into a new family where they find encouragement and because of which they are made to thank God. Don't want you to answer this question out loud. But do you ever thank God for the encouragement that you find here? Are you moved to thank God 
for your church family? If, if not, I'm really sorry about that. But if not, then throw yourself into this family to make it the sort of family that others will thank God for. And in these days when, when so many have been uprooted and disconnected from church, and maybe there are some who are listening online and, and, and they appreciate what they hear online, but they're not connected to a church family. Can, can, can we say gently that it is just marvelous that, that, that you're doing that, but wherever you are, you need to be part of a new community which will cause you to be encouraged and say, thank you, Lord. that will cause you to say as you come through the door, oh, what a week I've had. But, but so good to be here, to be encouraged by my brothers and sisters, and somebody else is seeing you and saying exactly the same. Thank you, Lord, for them. So, so here we are, you see, this is our, this is our great task. That we're running this race gospel is a message about Jesus Christ. It progresses through messengers. It divides people, but it builds a community that we've become part of. And I just wonder how, how much is this conscious in our minds as to what, this is who we are and what we're about. Do you know, I don't know if you ever uh, read the, the obituaries in, in some of the broadsheets. Um, I get to that stage in life now where I guess, you know, reading about things and think, oh, I wonder what people will say about me. I'll hardly make it to the times, you know, but, uh, you know, the person who said, well, I, I, I get up in the morning and I read the, in the old days of the Belfast Telegraph, all the death notices, and if I don't see my name, I, and then I go and have my breakfast, you know, uh, and uh, it, it's a bit like that. Uh, you, you start to sort of think, well, you know, my time's sort of limited here, isn't it? And, and you start to read some of these obituaries in, in the, these papers of, of the, the people who've really made an impact, and you know what they've, they've generally done? You know, they've been incredible people. They've been the sort of people you're reading about now. They've, they've, they've led uh, amazing lives through the war. They've maybe been pilots or, or they've, they've been involved in, in Dunkirk or D-Day or, or they've given themselves to some great invention and they've, they've shaped something or they've become exceptional in some sporting thing or, or in, in public life in one way or another and they're being honored in this obituary. And, and, and the, the sort of people who do that, you, you don't ever read of them saying, well, they did a little bit of this and a little bit of that, a little bit of that, and then they spent a wee bit of time doing a bit of this. The reason that they're there is that they gave themselves to something. They gave themselves to that invention that changed the medical world. They, they gave themselves to, to that public service that, that saw some new thing brought in that made people's lives better. They gave themselves to that. And therefore, there was a whole lot of things that they could have done, a little bit of this and a little bit of that, that they, they didn't do because they'd one overarching aim within their lives. And God has called us to run this race so that whatever else we are doing, we've one overarching aim of our lives that we might run well and finish the race and pass the baton on to those who come behind us. How are we doing?